right, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you don't know where that is, go to 2 Samuel and turn left. If you don't have a traditional Bible but you'd like one, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. Or you can take your smart device and you can open up the U version, or it's also called the Bible app, and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. If you're watching us live on our online campus or at one of our many services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, we love you. So glad that you're a part of our family. And we love you. And so glad that you're a part of our family. So if you're here on this side of the screen, would you give a huge round of applause to those who are on that side of the screen? Because... I got a text this morning from my brother who is living in Phoenix and he's building an amazing electric car plant and a billion dollar plant, fathom that. And uh, he said, well, you got a new site today. It's him and his friend Tommy. And so love you guys. So glad that you guys are there. It's just like amazing to me, the reach that God has. And so thank you guys for your giving and thank you for making all of this possible and all of the people who do serve on our online team. And so as I said, I'm gonna start a new series today. You saw on the screen, it's just called Caves. I'm super excited about this series because it's totally different than anything that we've ever done here because my wife, who you saw up here, Pastor Sonny and I, we've actually written this together. And so I'm gonna speak this week and then she's gonna speak next week and then we're gonna speak together in two weeks. We'll see how that goes because she just said that's why they don't ever turn our microphones on together. So trust me, y'all don't wanna miss that one. You don't wanna miss when the two of us uh, get, it's like, Regis and Kelly all over again. Because remember when that show was on and Regis was really funny and Kelly was trying to like corral him the whole time. But today, I want to start with a message that we're calling The Damaged Cave. Let's pray. God, we love you, honor you, value you, cherish you. God, sometimes we don't pause long enough to consider. God, to consider how, how honored we are, how grateful we should be how privileged we are to be able to stand in your presence. God, that, that you are the creator of all things. You are the first, the last, the bright and morning star, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, that you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the great I am. That God, you allow us not only to be in your presence, but God, you encourage us to be in your presence. And so today I pray that you would chip away at who we are, chip away at our hearts, chip away at our minds, Chip away at our thoughts, chip away at our intentions today so that when we leave this place, we will be formed more into your image than we were when we walked in here in Jesus' name, amen. And so, so today and for the next couple of weeks, I wanna talk to you about, about caves. Caves are interesting, they're deep and they're dark, they're damp and they're desolate. They have the ability to cause depression and dread, despair and desperation. And I wonder today, have you ever felt like you were in a cave? Sometimes we think it comes or is caused by, by failure or ambiguity, but sometimes, sometimes our caves are caused by success or notoriety. They're caused by potential or by expectations. Like for the first six years of my life, I was a top dweller. I think there's two types of people. I think there are cave dwellers and I think that there are top dwellers. And for the first six years of my life, I was a top dweller. I was happy and kind. I was loving and chatty and then and something happened. When that something happened, I was wounded, I was damaged, I was thrust into a different role, I was forced to take on a new identity. I grew up in a unique and an interesting neighborhood. I, I, uh, I went to a unique and an interesting school. I think it's 
So cute that my mom texted me this week and, and she has taken on somewhat of a new volunteer role and she is going to my former elementary school once a week and she is feeding kids because it is the only meal that those kids will receive for the day. We have many kids who are like that in Green Bay, incidentally, people who are in a cave, a, a cave of desperation. And so I grew up in an interesting neighborhood and, and I had an encounter throughout kindergarten and halfway through the first grade. I, I would go to school and every day I, I would be beat up by the same kid every single day, every, every day. His, his name was Corey Rolls and if he's watching, I don't want to forgive you, but I do in Jesus' name. So every day, this kid, Corey Rolls, R-O-L-L-S, if you want to find him on Facebook and stalk him, I would, I would, I would, uh, I would pray for you uh, later. And so every day in kindergarten and the 12th grade, Corey Rolls and his crew, Corey had a, a little posse, but group of little homies, and they, they, would, they would walk around uh, the playground looking for me. And, and when they found me, uh, Corey's little crew, his, his little posse, they, they would surround me so that I couldn't be seen. And after they surrounded me, uh, Corey Rolls would take the opportunity to, to beat me up every day, every day in kindergarten and halfway through the first grade. And, and one day, halfway through the first grade, uh, the imminent happened. I, I knew every day it was going to happen. Every day that I walked to school, I, I just knew that it, it was just a matter of time. Corey Rolls was going to jump me and his crew was going to make fun of me. And, and one day, halfway through the first grade, the imminent happened. And, and Corey's little crew, they, they surrounded me. Uh, and, and Corey decided that it was another opportunity to, to belittle me. But something happened, y'all. I, I snapped. I, I could not take it anymore and something flipped in me and and I physically flipped Corey rolls over and and I beat him like a rented dog and and this rage came over me and this 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 monster came out of me and and after that moment something happened from that moment forward, Corey and I switched roles. From that moment forward, I had notoriety. From that moment forward, uh, I had a new position and, and a new prominence. And, and Corey's little crew became my crew. His, his little group of homies became my little group. And, and now we would walk around the playground. And, and I was the new Corey roles. And I went from being a, being a victim to being a victimizer. And I went from being bullied to being a bully. And, and I had taken on a new identity and I had to defend that position could show no weakness. And I spent, listen, the next three decades of my life trying to live in someone else's skin, trying to live up to someone else's expectations and identity because I was desperate to fit in. I was different from everyone else. I was labeled as a Casper. I was labeled as a, as a cracker. And so I was desperate to look like everyone else. And so in my desperation, I studied history that wasn't mine. I adopted traditions that weren't mine. I elevated heroes who were not mine, all in an effort to identify as someone I was not. Because I had encountered a trauma and had become arrested in development. Now, there, there, is, a, there is a psychological idea that in the secular psychological world, they call fixation. 
in the, in the Christian counseling world, you would call it being arrested in development. Let, let me just give you a little insight into what that is. What happens for every person is anytime you encounter a, a situation of major trauma, generally the first one that really impacts you, something happens and, and in your mind, you become what's called arrested in development or you become fixated on that particular memory. And what happens is your mind then closes down. And to protect you from the pain, to protect you from the trauma that has just happened to you, your brain seals off and, and, it, and it has a lack of ability. There is an inability for your brain to mature more than 18 months mentally beyond that point. Now you still mature, you still understand things, you still learn, but what fixation or being arrested in development means is once you've encountered a major trauma, from that point forward, every time for the rest of your life that you encounter a trauma, you, you, you psychologically revert back to that time. And so when you are challenged or when you are confronted, you, you will revert back to at the most 18 months more mature than when that thing happened, which means any time for the rest of my life that I was challenged or I was confronted, I would then act like a second grader or I would act like a third grader. And it affected every single part of my life. It affected how I, how I acted as a student. It affected how I acted as a husband. It affected how I acted as an employee. That any time that I was confronted, I would act like a child. And so for me, with it being a second or a third grader, when I was confronted by, tr by, by any kind of challenge, if anyone like checked me on anything, I would yell, I would shout, I would throw things. Uh, I would hide things, I would hide mail, I would hide bills, because this is what second and third graders do when they feel like they're gonna get in trouble. They act like little kids, which is you know understandable when you're a second or a third grader, but when you're 32 years old and you throw a fit like you're a second or a third grader, and so it impacted everything about my life, and it almost cost me my marriage, it almost cost me my kids, it cost me at one point my career, it, I literally was fired from a job because of it, it cost me my finances, cost me my home, had to relocate my family at one point, all because when I was in first grade, I had a trauma that fixated me, that, that caused me to be arrested in development, so I was wounded, I was damaged, I was suddenly thrust into a damaged cave. And I was in the damaged cave because I had a wounded heart. And some of you are in here today and you are in a damaged cave because you have a wounded heart and you aren't alone. The Bible is filled with damaged hearts. The Bible is filled with damaged caves. It is filled with caves in general, caves of darkness and caves of division, caves of death and, and caves of destiny. But today, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about a guy who was somehow at some point dumped into a damaged cave. 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The first of his children was named Joel, and the second was Abijah, and they served in Beersheba. But his sons didn't follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They accepted bribes. They perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel, they gathered together and they came to Samuel and they said to him, you're old. That's always a great lead into any conversation. <laughs> Samuel, you're old 
and your sons are stupid. They are tripping. They, or actually, it says they don't follow your ways. So we want you to appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. You need to be careful anytime you want what everybody else has. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you that they've rejected. It is me that they've rejected. As they've done from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, they have forsaken me. They have served other gods, and so they are also doing to you. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what a king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. And he said, this is what a king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and he will make them serve with his chariots and his horses and they will run in front of him. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands, but some he will be commanders over fifties. Others of them will plow the ground and reap his harvest while others make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Even worse, he's going to take your daughters. He's going to make them perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he'll take the best of your fields and the best of your vineyards. He'll take the best of your olive groves and he will give them to his attendants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and he'll give it to his officials, to his attendants. Your male and female servants, he'll take the best of them. He'll take the best of your cattle and the best of your donkeys and he will take them for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks. You yourselves will become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the, for the king that you have chosen, but the Lord, he will not answer you in that day. But even then, the people said to Samuel, no, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations with the king who will lead us and who will go out before us in battle, who will, who will fight for us. And when Samuel heard that the people said, he, he repeated it all to the Lord. And the Lord answered and he said, listen to them, give them a king. And Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your town because now we must find a king. Chapter 9. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome in Israel. I relate very well to Saul. Said his, his, he's, he's kind of like my spirit animal. His son Saul was the most handsome man in, in all of Israel. It's a heavy burden to bear is all I'm saying. He was the most handsome man in all of Israel. He was head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. And, and then it goes on and it says that Saul was out and, and he lost some of his dad's donkeys and so he went to look for them. And it says that he had looked everywhere. And I use air quotes because he looked everywhere like your kids look everywhere, like when your kids lose their shoes and they say, I, I can't find them. Did you look for them? Yes, I've looked everywhere. Have you looked under the bed? Oh, so they looked everywhere other than anywhere. And so he looked, he looked everywhere and he reached a town called Zuf and the town Zuf meant land of the prophet. And so he, he says to his friend, he said, like, he doesn't want to go home empty handed. He, he doesn't want to go home and face his father and tell his daddy that he lost his donkeys. And so he looks at his friend kind of as one last resort. And he says, well, here we are. There's, there's a prophet who lives in this town. Maybe, maybe he can tell us where to look. So now we get to verse 15. It says, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel. He said, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince. Watch this, to be prince, not king, to be prince over my people because princes understand that they have all the power of a king, but they still sit under the authority of a king. This is not a, this is not a throw-in word. This is a significant word. Uh, you will anoint him to be prince over my people. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I've seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said, Bango, 
<laughs> That's him. He already knew. You're going to find out in just a minute how he already knew. He said, this is the man that I spoke to you about. He'll govern my people. So Saul, he's coming into the town. He's looking for the prophet. There's a couple uh, honeys that come out of the town, and he asks these girls, you know, because he's handsome. Handsome people have a way. He said, hey, girl. Where I can find a prophet at? <laughs> oh, oh this isn't in. This is in there, but you got to read it in there. You know what I'm saying? This is. Some of you make the Bible boring. You get this is math. Is all it is. Bible. If it says he's the most handsome man, and then it says he encountered a couple ladies, we already know how the ladies acted, because you know you know how you would have acted. Oh, it's, oh he's he's so fine. And they looked at each other. Oh, girl, he is hot. I hope this guy's looking for me is all I'm saying. I wonder if his friend was ugly too. I wonder if they saw like he had his homie with them and he's so fine. And then his, you know, anybody got an ugly friend? Don't point at him. Like you have a, you have an ugly friend and, and they got Saul and the one girl goes, that one's mine. You get the ugly one. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, that's in there is all I'm saying. And so they asked where the prophet was. They said, oh, he's at the high place and he's making sacrifices and, and he's worshiping. And so he meets Samuel. This is all. And he asks where he can find the prophet. And Samuel says, oh, well, that's me. Hey, hey, let's go eat. And, and tomorrow I'm going to tell you everything that you want to know and then I'm going to send you on your way. And they turn to walk and he says, oh, and by the way, check this. Don't worry about them donkeys that you lost three days ago. They've been found. Tell me that wouldn't creep you out. Right? Boo -doo 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 -doo. Hey, let's go eat. By the way, don't worry about, don't worry about them donkeys. Like, it's <laughs> creepy is all I'm saying. He says, he says, don't worry about them donkeys. They've been found. Watch this. Oh, and I'm actually here to tell you that you and your family, you're the focus of all of Israel's hopes. Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin. I am from the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking to me like this? And watch. This is where we see his wounds. This right here. This is where we see where he was damaged. Because I believe that Scripture proves that Saul struggled with insecurity. He was different from everyone else. And so I bet that he was desperate to look like everyone else. Verse two tells us that he was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the land. And we see that as a positive. But in the land of the small, maybe for Saul, being tall felt abnormal. Maybe for Saul, feeling tall felt like a deformity. L like, why am I so different? Or, or what is it that's wrong with me? He, he was like Buddy the Elf. He probably just felt like a cotton-headed nitty-muggin. Hello, Christmas time. This dad joke. I've noticed something. When tall people are around other tall people, they be acting tall. You get a guy who's 6'6", six, six, you put a guy who's 6'7", six, next to him, 6'6", six, six cats like this. Hey, what's up? Ha, how you doing? <laughs> Look at you. Rape the eyes. We tall, brother. Sir. <laughs> but you put a tall guy around some small people, and they seemingly act small. They try to lower themselves to the level of their surroundings. You ever see tall people slouch? Isn't it interesting how our surroundings and our situations will affect our view of ourselves? For example, 
I, I am the artist formerly known as six feet tall. In my prime, before I was old and before gravity took effect and before I became heavy, I was, I was, I was six feet tall. I was 72 inches in my prime. I, I was average height. I generally feel normal until I get around a bunch of tall people. Then I feel small. And I remember the first time I got to stand uh, on the sidelines at a, at a professional football game. Y'all, I felt, I felt like I needed to reach up and hold on to one of their hands. I had a guy, I had a guy 6'8 on one side, 6'9 on the other side. I felt like we should be. <laughs> I, 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 felt like, I felt like, ah, ah. I felt like one of them, like, like I needed him to pick me up and hold me during the game. Like he needed to put me in a front backpack so that I could... So, so that I could see it, put an Elmo leash on me so that I could, so I could see that. I'm just saying, I felt small. I felt insignificant. My situation and my surroundings affected my significance. And Saul, he was a significant man living with an insignificant mentality. Let me paint you a picture. Out of all the Jewish people, like two million people, Saul was the most handsome and he was larger than anyone else. Here's what that means. Saul was over seven feet tall. Some historians say Saul could have been up to seven foot six. You say, how you figure that? Well, the average man in that day was five feet, eight inches tall, which means that some were shorter while some were taller. Some were like 5'6", and some were like 5'10", or 5'11". But Saul was head and shoulders taller than anyone. That means the next tallest person on that planet of Jews came up to about here on him. He was about 18 inches taller than anyone else. What I'm trying to tell you is that Saul was huge. Saul was significant, but he viewed himself as small, viewed himself as insignificant. In fact, a few chapters later, we read the story about David and Goliath. The next week, Pastor Sonny's going to preach about David. Y'all better not miss this because she's been killing me with this message already. It's going to be off the chain. She's going to tell you some stuff about David that you're like, say what? Like, so you, like a couple chapters later, 17, we hear the story about David and Goliath. And in that story, while Goliath shouted, Saul hid in his tent. But he didn't hide in his tent because he was scared of Goliath's size. He hid in his tent because he had always been scared of his own size. It wasn't that Goliath was that significant. It was that Saul felt insignificant. Yes, Goliath was bigger than Saul, but he wasn't that much bigger than Saul. He, he was not double Saul's size. And so he was hiding because he viewed Goliath as significant, but viewed himself as insignificant. And I wonder if you've ever had a problem or a challenge that felt significant when in truth it was just that you felt small. So when Goliath shouted, Saul shrunk and, and he went into seclusion, which was actually a pattern for him. Immediately after Samuel identified him as king, he goes back to his father's farm and he hides out and acts like nothing happened. In fact, his uncle asks him something in chapter 10, verse 15, and he, said, he, he says to Saul, tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul plays it down. He replied, oh, he, he told me that the donkeys had been found. But he didn't tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. <laughs> Man, please. Let somebody make you king. 
You don't have that trash on Instagram so fast. You'd be like, hey, what's up, y'all? <laughs> he's, he's hiding. And the reason that he's hiding is because he was insecure. And he felt insignificant. Has God ever tried to bless you, but you acted small, but you acted insecure, you acted insignificant? Because a few verses later, Samuel summons all the people together to let God show them who he had chosen to be king. And they do like a drawing a lot. They do like a lottery thing and they narrow it down to the tribe of Benjamin and then they they narrow it down to Saul. But when they announce that it was Saul, the winner of the masked singer, it's Saul. And they look around, crickets. Bible says, when they looked for him, he was not to be found. <laughs> how do you lose a seven-foot Jew? That's all I'm saying. Like, how do you, oh, he was here a minute ago, but they hadn't lost him. He was hiding because damaged people have a way of denying their destiny. And I wonder, what destiny are you denying because you feel like you're damaged? So rather than live in his destiny, the, the damage to Saul's heart led to his destruction. And the difference between your destiny and your destruction lies within how you deal with the damage that's been done to your heart. So today I want to give you three descriptions of a damaged heart. Here's the first. A damaged heart is an anxious heart. Antsy. You know what I'm talking about? Anxious, antsy, impatient. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Samuel told Saul, bro, go to Gilgal. And you're supposed to wait for seven days. Wait for seven days so that you can hear from God. Do not make the sacrifice until you hear from God. Seven days came, Saul got impatient. When his soldiers began to jet, his soldiers started to get restless. And when his, when his soldiers got restless, Saul got impatient. Saul got anxious. And then he offers an unlawful sacrifice which resulted in him losing his kingdom. When you are an anxious person, you are inevitably going to lose something. Samuel said to him, bro, you've done a foolish thing. You haven't kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now, because you were anxious, your kingdom is not going to endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and anointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. God only gave Saul two commands. Defeat the Philistines and wait. Incidentally, he's only given you two commands. Love God and love people. Isn't it interesting how even when we're only given one or two commands, we want to do our own thing because we're anxious? But friends, there are always consequences when we get anxious and land outside God's will for our lives. Here's the second description of a damaged heart, is that a damaged heart is an angry heart. During the encounter with Goliath, where even though he's significant, Saul views himself as small, God sends David. God sends someone seemingly insignificant who recognizes that he may be small, but his God is big. And he cannot, listen, this story is so dope. If you haven't read the story of David and Goliath, this is so sick. Like he comes in, he ain't nothing but but Uber Eats. That's all he is. Somebody called him up. He brought some Jimmy John's, you know, quick freaky fast. He showed up. Some big ugly dude is talking smack about his God. He says, hold up, play. What is this? Who's this for right here? What is he talking about? What? Say what? What do you say about, what do you say about my mom? What do you say about my God? And he looks around. He's like, hey. Everybody's like, hmm. 40 days. <laughs> 40 days? He's been saying this for 40 days? Where's Saul? Saul's huge. Saul needs to go smack this dude in his mouth. The guy's like, uh, Saul. He's hiding out. 
Well, what would somebody get if they beat that guy? Oh, you get one of Saul's girls and, uh, and you don't ever have to pay taxes again. In America, you're like, say, what? <laughs> I'll kill anybody if I don't have to pay taxes. No, you wouldn't say that. He says, oh, I'm going to knock this joker out. And, and he, he comes in and recognizes I may be small, but my God is big. And friend, you may think you're small, but your God is big. Your job may be messing with you. Your neighbor may be messing with you. Your marriage may be on the rocks. Your kids may be wiling out. You may feel small, but your God is big. He, he already went before you in every one of those situations. And, and David defeats the giant. And on their return from the battle, the crowd cheers for Saul, but they chant for David. They chanted, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. This made Saul very angry. Isn't it interesting how it'll make us angry when somebody else gets credit, but we don't? Saul said, what's this? They credit David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they're going to make him king. So from that time forward, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Here, here's the third, is a damaged heart is an altered heart. And Saul spends the next eight years hunting David trying to kill David because his wound, his trauma, his feeling of insignificance triggered his insecurity. And because he was arrested in development, he reverted back to the place that that trauma occurred. And he went from a thy mentality to a my mentality. And from that point forward, even though he had loved David, even though David had served him, Saul made it all about himself. He, he made it all about his kingdom, which is the opposite of what Jesus tells us to do when he tells us how to pray. Jesus said, you should say this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we trigger from a trauma, we step out from our destiny and God's covering because we're not acting like who we were created to be. And when that happens, we find ourselves somehow at some point dumped into a damaged cave. And the only way out of that cave is to identify our wounds, surrender our wounds, realize our identity, recognize our significance and say, God, not my kingdom, but thy kingdom, not my will, but thy will on earth as it is in heaven. The only way out is to lay down your wounds and let Jesus pick them up, to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares about you. And I wonder today, will you do that? Will you lay down your wounds? Will you cast off all your anxieties? Because if you will, you will step out of the darkness of the damaged cave and into the light of Jesus' presence. Because the only difference between your destiny and your destruction lies within how you deal with the damage that's been done to your heart. How are you dealing with the damage it's been done to yours. Would you close your eyes all across this place? You know, in the church, we talk a lot about something called salvation. Sal salvation really is kind of a churchy word for a rescuing. Saul needed to be rescued. You, you read through his life, his whole life he needed to be rescued. Mostly he needed to be rescued from himself. That's where I was. When I met Jesus, I just needed to be rescued from me. I was hurt. I was wounded. But y'all, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity, like, like by his stripes we are healed. And so today you're here, I know that you're wounded. I know that you're bruised. Do you know how I know that? Because you're human. And every one of us, we came in here and the devil wanted us to feel like we were the only one, like we stood out, like we were so different. And so we've been desperate to become someone who we are not. 
I tell you, the only way for survival is to exchange your identity for his. That's what salvation is. When you say, I can't do this on my own anymore, and so I need him to rescue me. I wonder if you need to be rescued today from your sin, from your shame, from yourself. So this morning, no matter what side of the screen you're on, if you're here, I want you to know that Jesus has been waiting. He's been ready for you. You thought that you came for a baby dedication, but what you came was for a life change. You came to be rescued. You came to be saved. And so this morning, to be saved, you really need to do two things. Confess and profess. Confess that you're a sinner and profess that Jesus can change you. So if you're here today and you want to do those things, we're going to give you opportunity. And here's how. In just a moment, with nobody looking around, I'm going to ask for people to confess by raising their hand and making eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact, you can put your hand down. And then we're going to profess that Jesus is Savior and Lord by everybody in here repeating the same prayer after me. We're not going to center people out, make you feel small, make you walk an aisle. But if you're here and you say, Sean, I need to be rescued. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks, 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 thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, 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 thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please change me. Come into my life. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer and you're in this place on this side of the screen, we have a packet for you. We'd love for you to take your hello card, tear off the bottom portion, fill out whatever part you're comfortable with us having. Check the box that's highlighted in yellow that says, I'm choosing to follow Jesus. And in a moment, some black buckets are gonna come around. Would you just drop it in there? Either do that or take it out to the Welcome Center. Either way, we wanna follow up with you and we have a packet for you. Inside that, it's a little three-month devotional, daily writing. I do these with my kids every day of the school year. And then there's a, a, like a 12-minute CD called What Now? On, on how to do that. If you are online and you made that decision, would you just message your host, our uh, online pastors, and let them know that you did that. We would love the opportunity to follow up with you. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes one more time. Don't leave yet, so we're not done. Pastor Sonny's gonna close us out here in just a minute. But I wonder if you're here, you say, Sean, I'm saved. I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, but uh, I'm in a cave. I I've been damaged. I I've been wounded. M maybe you know what it means to be arrested in development if that's you with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you. Man, God, so many people. So God, for so many people, God, we love you and we honor you. Thank you that you are a God that by your stripes we are healed. And God, I love you for that. Thank you for healing me, for changing me, for rescuing me, restoring me, reviving me. Do that to my friends in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. And friends, as Pastor Sonny comes, let me just say this. We're going to put a slide up. Starting the week of January 27th, we do have a new class of Journey to Wholeness. If you are wounded, if you are arrested in development, this is the thing that literally saved my life. So I would love it. Stop at the Welcome Center. Tell them that you're interested in it. Men, listen, men, we need facilitators. So if you've been wounded and rescued, step up. Let's change somebody's life through the power of the Holy Spirit.